The two-tiered justice system is a real thing. Protest abortion, get 10 years in prison. Protest oil usage, you know, the thing that actually helps people live. And you get a slap on the wrist from the authorities. I'll show you with receipts tonight. And I miss the good old days in church when we used to argue about, I don't know, denominational differences like tongues or infant baptism and whether or not you need to be baptized to be saved. Ah, yes, the good old days. Now we have sparkle creeds, female pronouns in our prayers, and believe it or not, a Beyonce mass. Yes, a Beyonce mass. The dumbing down of the church is a real thing, and Apple reminds the world why we desperately need religious faith. And if we don't have a real one, we'll find a stupid one. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch, live. Oh, it's so good to be with you all tonight here, Tuesday nights at 7.30. Make sure that you're hitting that like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell to get notified on your smart device every time we go live. And if you're listening to this content on a podcast app, do me a favor and um, make sure that you leave a five-star review for the content. The backdrop keeps getting better, doesn't it? Look at, I got some new guests in the bobblehead directory up there. Well, brought back some old guests anyway, and I got this new little neon TH logo sign in the back of me. What do you think? I'm liking it and uh, give you a side view here of the Deep End Studio. Getting better every week and it gets better because you're here. And so we have got to talk about the problems that our Christian faith is going to start to have to handle going forward. And that is the two-tiered justice system between those who fight for um, biblical morality and those who fight for uh, pagan morality. And the two-tiered justice system favors one. I'll let you guess which one on Deep End News. Deep, deep, deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. So Red State is reporting that there's a pro-life activists that have been now convicted for protesting an abortion clinic uh, in Washington, D.C., and they were sentenced to an astonishing 10 years in prison. Oh, by the way, a new touch to the deep dive or deep end, sorry, is this new picture in picture format. So this is from Red State. According to the evidence presented at trial, Jonathan Daniel, 41, of Arlington, uh, Gene Marshall, 73, of Kingston, Massachusetts. Woohoo! Massachusetts in the house. Joan Bell, 74, of Montauk, New Jersey, engaged in a conspiracy to blockade a reproductive health clinic. That's an abortion clinic. That's a place where they murder unborn children. And prevent the clinic from providing uh, and patients from receiving reproductive health services. All, all these terms at redstate.com is kind of, kind of surprising because it's, it's the murder of the unborn, not reproductive health. As part of the conspiracy, they traveled to Washington, C, to D.C., and uh, they met with Darnell and participated in a clinic blockade that was directed by another co-conspirator and broadcast on Facebook. Evidently, they stopped... Uh, people from getting into the room where they would murder the unborn children and they went into the building which I disagree with I don't think we should be going into the buildings of these places I think that's going too far Uh, they use their bodies and uh, I guess they blockaded um, the rooms with furniture and ropes and uh, chains you know I don't like it one of, one of the partners stayed outside of the clinic, and uh, three of them went inside the clinic. So they violated the FACE Act, which uh, that is an act that provides uh, the accessibility to a health service. I don't know what FACE the acronym stands for. Maybe we'll put it in the chat below. I forget what it stands for. But the defendants East faced a maximum of 11 years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release and a fine up to $350,000. Again, here's how I feel about this. I don't think we're being smart when, when we invade private facilities, no matter how barbaric the facility is, no matter how barbaric their practices are. I think you got to respect the law there. Uh, you, might, you might disagree. You know, look, if we respected the law under slavery, slavery never would have ended for some, for many more decades. I understand that. But, you know, going into a private place and then just blockading and causing a fiasco makes us no better in our posturing than the climate alarmists who glue their hands to the floor at the U.S. Open, <laughs> which is a real thing that happened. Anyway, we, we, we don't want to cry Christian per- persecution here because of that, because I, I do think, again, like they did go too far. But the punishment, 10 years in prison. Wow. Here's where the problem really lies. All those climate protesters who stop traffic and maybe might get in the way of that, I don't know, pregnant woman going in to have a baby at the, ho- at the hospital or maybe the mother who is rushing to uh, 
help her child who has just had a horrific car accident and she can't get there because a climate protester has decided to sit in the middle of the highway. Yeah, those people hardly get any time. Uh, climate eco-activist in 2011, Tim Christopher, who actually disrupted a land auction by bidding on 14 parcels of land totaling 22,000 acres in 2011 for $1.8 million with no intent to pay for it. He only got 21 months of jail time. In London, two men known for the, the Kiwi climate protest in which they shut down a busy street in, in downtown London and shut down the Queen Elizabeth II bridge for 36 hours received what climate alarmists called a draconian sentence of three years. And then four climate oct- activists were convicted in public nuisance. And what that means is shutting down roads, got no jail time in October of 2021. Uh, back to Massachusetts, back to America. This is from Maryland. An activist got two months for blocking a DC beltway during a, po- uh, a climate protest. That there on the screen is William Reagan. He gets two months of jail for sitting in the road and stopping traffic. And that is the two-tier justice system that I am talking about, people. It seems that the rules are different depending on what you're fighting for. So if you were expecting the rules to be fair, think again. They are not. And all you have to do is look at what they're doing to the January 6th protesters compared to what they did with the BLM protesters from the 2020 Summer of Love. The grandmothers and fathers and working people who stormed the Capitol and tried to usurp the government on January 6th as they were led around by uh, the Capitol Police and uh, had doors open to them by the authorities and were basically invited into the building and instigated into the building by secret federal, federal Bureau of Investigation officers. Yeah, those people are going to jail for 10, 15 years. Enrico, Enrique Barrio, the leader of the Proud Boys movement, uh, was just sentenced to like 26 years in prison and he wasn't even at the Capitol. Capitol on January 26. But you can shut down a federal building in Maryland in the name of stopping the use of fossil fuels and uh, you get a photo op arrest or you get two, two months in jail. Here's the thing. I think that January 6th uh, riot was a disgrace. I also think that the 2020 riots were a disgrace. The, the riots, not the protests. We should peacefully assemble and peacefully protest, but we shouldn't disrupt everybody's life. We shouldn't close down bridges and roads. We shouldn't stop people from being able to get where they need to go because you don't have any idea where those people need to go. And it's kind of lumping everybody into the same category when you decide to shut down the entire road, thinking that everybody on that road is some evil fossil fuel mongol, you know, mogul that's trying to make billions of dollars on gas. No, they're just moms, dads. They're just trying to get their kids to practice, get their kids to the doctor, get their, I don't know, business product delivered. This is the two-tier justice system that we are facing. And this is uh, why we have to be very careful as Christians not to reflect the stupid movement of protest that is that is uh, overtaking the climate alarmism crowd. We can protest, but we can protest by presenting better arguments, by uh, presenting better content, and then most importantly, by not aborting our children. I have a thought about abortion, and we're going to circle back to abortion at the end of the show because President Donald Trump really let uh, conservative Christians down over the weekend. We will get to that. I have a thought about abortion, and, and hear me out on this. Christians... It's time to play the long game. And I'm not talking about the 10-year game, the 20-year game. I'm talking about the three or four generation game. What I mean by that is the pagans are going to abort their babies. They're going to move to the blue state or travel to the blue state funded by their uh, you know, progressive company. And uh, they're going to kill their babies. They're going to make sure that they have less offspring. So here's what we do, Christians. We don't kill our babies. We have them. We raise them. And then we raise them to be hateful bigots, according to the progressive left. We <laughs> raise them to believe that the Bible is true. We bring them to church on Sunday. We serve in church with them on Sunday. We let them see us worshiping Jesus with our hands lifted and our Bibles open on Sunday morning. What if we did that for three or four generations, right? What if we did that instead of blockading abortion clinics? Because if we played the long game, we will win this war. And I think that God is playing the long game. If you look at scripture, that's what he did. He played the long game with Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up for uh, 15, uh, oh, no, what, two, 3,000 years before, uh, uh, after human history. Does, does Jesus show up? And then it's 2,000 years later since the cross, uh, the work of the cross was finished and the empty grave happened and uh, Jesus is still working to build his church. 
God plays a long game, so should we. So what does that mean for the church? Again, outbreed the pagans in very simple terms. Outbreed the abortionists. Outbreed the secular leftists and the progressives. And then raise your children in the church. Get to church. Put nothing in front of the church on the weekends. Hello, hello. And I don't know. Maybe we just win this fight by playing the long game. And in three and four generations, abortion is unthinkable. Gay marriage is a thing of the past. Why? Because people realize that if Christians just did their job, which is be fruitful and multiply, honor the Lord on the Sabbath and work hard the rest of the week and love your neighbors, you love yourself. That's an attractive message. That's an attractive message. And so in the face of two-tier justice, there's still a way forward. And that's my That's my offering to you. That's my suggestion. Let's play the long game. Time for a deep end commentary on the dumbing down of the church at the hands of culture. So we're going to do this. It's going to be a little bit long. Hope you stay with me. The deep end commentary. All right. I got to talk to you about when the salt loses its saltiness. When the salt loses its saltiness. So I don't usually do this on the deep end, but I'm going to bring some of my Sunday morning preaching into Tuesday night. On Sunday, I preached about being the salt of the earth at my church, and I was sharing from Matthew 5, 13, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And the point that I was making is the warning here is that we can lose our taste. We, we can lose our saltiness, but so many people don't even know what that means. Now, we know that um, uh, physically speaking, NaCl, the compound, the molecular compound that makes up what we now know as salt, cannot ever actually not be salt, right? Sodium be sodium. (laughs) Jesus is talking about an ancient form of salt that they used to preserve meat that was filled with a lot of dust from the Dead Sea area and salt, NaCl, or, or sodium. They would pack meat with it to preserve meat. But you could lose the saltiness by the by losing the calcium, uh, the sodium in the in the compound, and so that's how in the ancient world salt could lose its saltiness. But the interesting thing about the Greek text is the word has lost its taste is one word. The words in English has lost its taste is one word in Greek, and that word is moranthe. <laughs> has lost its taste is moranthe in Greek, and yes, it's the Greek word from which we get moron or fool. You know that uh, term for a second year college or high school student, sophomore, Sophia, wise in Greek, moros, fool, wise fool. That's what a sophomore is. Congratulations, 10th graders. Anyway, when we speak about the church losing its taste, make no mistake, is the church becoming stupid? Is the church becoming dumbed down? And I fear that there is a active and very successful campaign to dumb down the Lord's church. And here's what I mean. Consider the movement to sexualize and secularize the entire Lutheran denomination that has been well underway for more than four decades. First, you appoint female pastors, then they become female bishops, then they become female seminary leaders, and then you have the Beyonce mass. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. The Beyonce mass was a literal thing in the Twin Cities a couple of months ago at a Lutheran seminary held at Plymouth Congregational Church in South Minneapolis. This is not a joke. I wish it was, but this is literally what's happening in the Lutheran church. Martin Luther was almost executed for getting the Bible and the gospel into people's ears. I, sh- I am 100% confident that he would be rolling over his gra- in his grave if he ever knew what was going on. Maybe he does know up in heaven, and he's running to the Father saying, shut the Lutheran church down. I don't even like the fact that they have my name in the name. Anyway, the, um, this article says the Beyonce Mass is a womanist worship service that uses the music and personal life of Beyonce as a tool to foster an empowering conversation about black women. Their lives, their bodies, because there's got to be a pro-abortion component, of course, and their voices. It was created and organized by theologian and Reverend Yolanda Norton. Who would have thought a female pastor came up with this idea? And as the chair of the Black Church Studies at San Francisco Theological Seminary, uh, she teaches a class on Beyonce and Hebrew Bible where she, quote, uses the pop idol songs to interpret biblical scripture through a black feminist lens. Huh? 
Norton told the Star Tribune the decision to come to Minneapolis was an easy one. What's happening, Minneapolis? Last week, I talked about the fact that Minnesota was the first state to actually have the taxpayers pay $500,000 for, for a inmate to be changed, well, to have a sex change surgery. $500,000 of taxpayer money is to pay for a prisoner's sex change. Unbelievable. Minnesota. What's going on? The event includes a social justice sermon explicitly promoting liberation theology and femi radical feminist ideology, scripture reading, worshiping to Beyonce songs, and a recital of, of a bizarre womanist reinterpretations of the Lord's Prayer. And so I had to see it, and now you do too. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a soft segment of the Beyonce Mass at Lutheran Seminary in Minneapolis. Beyonce in church. <laughs> holy cow. Uh, uh, holy cow is definitely an appropriate response. Uh, if you remember, it was the cows that the Israelites first worshipped when Moses was getting the law up on Mount Sinai. Very appropriate response to Beyonce being so. You have a community that is youthful and loving and looks to the world as a partner, not an enemy. So if that's new to you, I hope it's good news. God actually loves you. Okay, interesting take on the gospel and uh, church ordinances. And so you go from the Beyonce Mass in a Lutheran seminary, and it trickles down to the Lutheran churches in Minnesota, and then you have something called the Sparkle Creed. Remember that ancient creed from the church fathers is called the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, you know, and Jesus Christ, the only Son, you know. This most important creed, uh, the definition of what it actually means to be a Christian, things like, I don't know, substitutionary atonement, the empty grave, the holy church of God, um, you know, one God in three persons, you know, things that actually matter. The, the things that helped shape Western civilization and bring prosperity, healing, health, and wellness around the world. Yeah, we're, we're casting that off, says the Lutheran Church. I bring you now uh, to Edina Community Lutheran Church in Minneapolis. This happened during Pride Month and a Pride Month service. <laughs> and another woman pastor in the Lutheran Church uh, decided to call the small gray-haired congregation to recite a radically modernized take on the Apostles' Creed, and they call it the Sparkle Creed. I had to watch it, and now you do too. Let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God, whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Yikes. <laughs> Um, if I ever heard that creed in a church, I would run for my soul. Okay, not life, because I'd rather die than read that creed, and that creed will send your soul straight to hell. Uh, this is the dumbing, dumbing down of the church. This is the salt becoming uh, moronthe. Morons are leading the Lutheran church morons. And if your church is even close to that, run away from it. If your church is starting to appoint female pastors, and I hate to say it, but, and I know a lot of people will get mad with me with saying these things, but you need to run because this is the inevitable result. And I have talked about this on this channel over and over again. God appointed 12 male apostles. Paul put in place in the scriptures, clearly the husband of one wife, a man must lead and foster and pastor the church. Women can help. Women can serve. Women can be integral parts of every ministry in the church. 
but the authority of Scripture and doctrine has been left into the hands of men. If you are part of a church where they are starting to allow women to pastor, women to preach, women to lead, eventually, not, not tomorrow, not in two years, not in 10 years, I'm talking about 30 to 40 years. It took the Lutherans about 60 years to get to the Sparkle Creed. So when we're talking about playing the long game, we have to play the long game doctrinally as well. Hold on to the Bible, no matter what you think will be cool for the culture. Trust me on this, because that's where you get. This is where it gets to. Do you think that the men who are appointing female pastors in the 1960s to the Lutheran church were imagining that one day they would worship the, to the Sparkle Creed? No. They thought, oh, this is good because, you know, feminism is a thing in culture and we could win the feminists if we really just, you know, kind of abdicated some of the scripture around whether or not women can be pastors. And so maybe this is a cool way to reach the culture. No, it's the, it's the stupid way to reach the culture and it's the fastest way to destroy your church. Gee, I wonder why the Lutheran church is down 41% in attendance in the last 34 years. Estimates, according to certain, some research, is that there will be only 16,000 practicing Lutherans left by the year 2041. The Lutheran Church was once a thriving part of American culture and a bastion of doctrinal accuracy. And today, it's a joke. It's stupid. It's dumbed down. The salt has lost its taste. Moronthe, in the words of Jesus. I think about Jeremiah asking the ancient Israelites when they were abandoning Orthodox faith and worshiping under every green tree and literally having sex with bushes and trees. Literally a thing. In Jeremiah's day, uh, Jeremiah asks on behalf of the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless gods and became worthless? They went after worthlessness and they became worthless. You are what you worship. You are what you pursue. You are what you chase. This is the dumbing down of the Lord's church. And I wish that I could say that the evangelicals were safe, but they are not. I'm an evangelical. Here's what evangelical means. Three basic things. Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Bible is 100% true, and you need to share your faith. That's basically evangelicalism in a nutshell. I believe Noah's flood was a real thing. Well, God's flood and Noah's ark was a real thing. I, I believe that the animals two by two went onto the ark at God's direction. I absolutely believe God divided the Red Sea. I absolutely believe David uh, killed Goliath with, with a stone and a sling. I absolutely believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into a real burning furnace and survived and Jesus God the Son, pre-incarnate, showed up with them. I believe that. <laughs> I believe that because Jesus believed that. I believe that Job was a real person. I believe he really suffered. That's evangelicalism. But the, but the evangelical church is in trouble. The evangelical church is getting dumbed down. A recent survey from Barna, Barna is a Christian research uh, organization, found the following stats to be true about the evangelical church. 56% of evangelicals don't believe that Jesus is the only way to, have, to God. 73% believe that Jesus was created by God. 43% uh, believe that Jesus is not God. 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. 57% believe that humans aren't sinful by nature. 26% of evangelicals agree that scripture is not literally true, but contains helpful accounts of ancient myths. 38% agree that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. 37% believe that gender identity is a matter of choice in the evangelical church. And then 28% believe that homosexual scriptures do not apply today. This is the evangelical church. So what's the future of the evangelical church? Take a look at the Lutherans. Take a look at the Methodists. Take a look at the Episcopalians. That's the road we're on, evangelical pastors. Maybe it's time that we stop trying to, I don't know, entertain the flock and actually minister to them. Let's make disciples instead of consumers. But this is all part of the plan the dumbing down of the Lord's church. The devil is stupid. The devil acts stupid. You have to be stupid to rebel against God in heaven. <laughs> you have to be stupid to think that hell would be better than the glories and the presence and the pleasures of everlasting life with God. But I fear for the evangelical church because they're following the trend of culture, trying desperately to be light, embracing new techniques to provide truth for the sheep. Take, for instance, Clay Scroggins, a former North Point Church employee, one of Andy Stanley's right-hand man at one point, and he is now promoting his new How to Preach Better Sermons with Artificial Intelligence. Now, Scroggins does not work for North Point Church or Andy Stanley anymore. He stepped down in 2021 after another scandal concerning docent research 
a decent research firm uh, was exposed, and he was part of that. Clay and marketing guru Evan Chastine are now uh, offering a two-hour online course where pastors can leverage the power of artificial intelligence to write better sermons faster. Hmm. Write better sermons faster. Sounds like a sales pitch for my pillow. I mean, we, we are not selling my pillow, right? We're declaring the eternal word of the living God. Now, to be fair, the course description doesn't indicate that participants should use AI to write their sermons word for word. It does suggest that ChatGPT will be an integral part, integral part of leveraging AI to write a sermon as taught in their workshop. What do I think about this as a pastor? I think it's a bad idea. I think the sales pitchiness of writing better sermons is always a bad idea. Sermons are written with work and effort, and they take a long time. And good sermons take a long time, and great sermons take a long time. And yes, this does happen. L let me speak, having preached now for over 25 years. Sometimes God gives me a whole sermon in one hour. It has happened, and some of my preaching heroes attest to that. It does happen. But most times, my sermons and preaching is an arduous task wherein I let the Holy Word of God get into me, where I start to ask questions about it that I believe that I should ask, that uh, my congregants should ask, that non-believers would ask, that new believers would ask, that seasoned believers would ask. And if I can wrestle with those questions ahead of time for their sake, then when I present that message to them, they are more receptive to hearing it from somebody who has wrestled with the text. There is a, there is a wrestling to be done done with the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, and I fear that pastors looking for the quick and the cheap will offer just that to their church, the quick and the cheap, and the quick and the cheap do not save. Again, God plays the long game, right? So pastors got to play the long game. Uh, it, wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't long ago, by the way, where a recently elected Southern Baptist Convention president was exposed for stealing another Southern Baptist preacher's sermons word for word. Yeah, that was uh, J.D. Greer's sermons were being stolen by I forget who. But anyway, pastors are always tempted to cheapen the work and they'll fail. They'll be exposed. Jesus said, whatever you cover will be uncovered. So don't hide, preachers. Don't try to make it easy and cheap and fast. Do the work. See, for me, writing a sermon is an adventure. It's an adventure in discovering God. It's an adventure of, of knowing who he is and what he has declared and how what he declared back then applies to today. I always tell preachers who I train to preach, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. And you've got to do the digging, the contextual digging to know, well, what was God saying to them back then to what situation? And then how can we apply that information to us today? That's how you write sermons. You don't write sermons by ripping off sermons from other people. You don't write sermons by allowing AI, artificial intelligence, to write it for you. By the way, the news on AI is not good. Gizmodo reporting that uh, ChatGPT is bleeding users. Its website visits have dropped for the third consecutive month, and uh, user minutes are dropping. Uh, they're in freefall. One of the big problems with AI right now is that it has become increasingly inaccurate. So if you're doing your research for sermon prep, you might be getting false or inaccurate information, pastors. Research conducted by Stanford University and UC Berkeley found that in March, ChatGPT4 could identify prime numbers with a 97% accuracy. The same study carried out in June found that its accuracy plummeted to a shockingly low 2.4%. So, you know, before we jump on this bandwagon, right, and before we let these, you know, former pastors who, who find a way to peddle religious goods to other pastors who are are too busy to do their research, uh, we, we, we need to make sure that we're not just jumping on the bandwagon of a failed campaign here. I enjoy AI for certain reasons. I use mid-journey. I do enjoy the, the potential of mid-journey and AI for creativity and, and spurring creativity. I have used small bits of AI in my sermon prep. Um, a couple of ways. Here's a couple of ways that I have done it. Uh, I have asked GPT to tell me all the verses in the Bible where God speaks directly to Moses, and it does that to somewhat of a, of a pretty accurate degree. I have a, a Bible software called Logos Bible software, which actually I had a chance to measure against the results of ChatGPT, and for the most part, the results on ChatGPT were pretty good. But I fear for the church. This is not playing the long game. This is playing the fast, cheap, and quick game. And we've got to do our work if we're going to bless God's people. It's a holy calling. 
Another way that we are cheapening the ministry of the church is playing the short game with the socially um, challenging issues, such as LGBT and the church. And this is always going to be a, tr- a, a struggle until, I don't know, time tells the world that we were right, that the gospel is still true, that the Bible is still the word of God. I mean, it's going to take a long time for that to happen. Acts 29, a church planting network that runs uh, church plants across the nation and was once led by uh, figures such as Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler, has caught hot water or got themselves in hot water by having a video on his website where a pastor in Worcester, Massachusetts, here he is on the screen. This is uh, Pastor Mike Sullivan of Emmaus City Church in Worcester, Mass, was interviewed on how important it is to cultivate a safe place for LGBT persons to worship amongst professing Christians. Watch the interview. I'll play only a portion of it and then We'll have some thoughts. Planting for Acts 29, and I'm here with Mike Sullivan, who is the lead pastor at Emmaus City Church in Worcester, Massachusetts. Nailed it. <laughs> and uh, and we just got done. He, he did a main session. We're at the Northeast uh, Regional for Acts 29. Just did a main session uh, about how we can do ministry among uh, LGBTQ people. And I, I don't even want to say any more because I was just telling you the title of your message was so great and really became the framework for your talk. So maybe give us the actual title and then talk, maybe unpack a little bit of some of those ideas. Yeah. So the actual title was Walking with Jesus among our beloved LGBTQI family and friends and neighbors. And the reason why I wanted to title it that way is not only to honor those that uh, we get to love that would be in our friends, family and neighbors, but also to pause for a second and pray and ask where is Jesus at work in this community? Because um, I think we can make a lot of assumptions that have really hurt us. Uh, And it also uh, helps us come in as listeners and learners with a posture of compassion. So kind of the frame of, of discussing this was really not only who do we get to pray for that would consider us friends and family and neighbors, but also in the midst of that, do we know their stories? Have we paused long enough to hear not only where there's pain uh, that Jesus is meeting with compassion or that he may be inviting us to express that compassion, um, but also to do it with a sense of hospitality of welcoming them into our lives as much as we get to be welcomed into their lives and to do it with a humility as well as a hope that only God can provide. Yeah. So I love that that phrase of um, walking with Jesus among our beloved LGBTQ uh, friends, family, and neighbors. So that you, you were just saying there, there, there's often a sense of like either we're going to separate ourselves or we're going to take Jesus to them. Yeah. How is it different at a practical level to consider uh, walking with Jesus among them? Yeah, I think a key thing is, is there's so many beautiful ways in which God already knows their story, but we don't. And so um, some of them are going to have a lot of church hurt in terms of the ways that uh, sadly uh, they've been confronted or um, marginalized or okay. ostracized. Okay, I'm going to stop here. And, and this, is, this is the reason why I'm going to stop here. And because the question that I have, first of all, is why on earth are Christian leaders so hopelessly tempted to coddle only one particular breed of sinner? Why? Yeah, this is a, a brilliant move, by the way. Somebody on Twitter replaced the words uh, that would refer to LGBT or other homosexual or transgender sins with a, another sin in our culture that is far more accepted on both the left and the right by the seculars and the sacred. It's the sin of white supremacy, right? That would be a, that would be a very vile and evil sin. Now, take Mike Sullivan's words and replace every reference to LGBT with white supremacy, and let's see how it sounds in that light. This is a brilliant move. Watch. Yeah, so the actual title was Walking with Jesus Among Our Beloved White Supremacists, Family and Friends and Neighbors. And the reason why I wanted to title it that way is not only to honor the white supremacists that uh, we get to love that would be in our friends, family and neighbors, but also to pause for a second and pray and ask, where is Jesus at work in this white supremacist community? Because um, I think we can make a lot of assumptions that have really hurt us. Uh, and it also uh, helps us come in as listeners and learners with a pop. Isn't that 100% right? Like, like this, this is the problem. This is my problem with tri- coddling LGBTQ people. First off, I don't think they want to be coddled. I think, and I really do believe this, deep down, they want to hear the truth even if they don't like it. Because truth is truth no matter what anybody says. Truth is truth. 
You, you, you might not like the truth, but you know you need the truth. I hate being told things that are true about me that I don't want to hear. But ultimately, I know I need to hear them. Or I will be a hot mess, led around by my own inclinations and following my own gut. And I would love to say to Mike Sullivan, because he's a pastor in Massachusetts and he's planting a church. I, pa- I planted a church in Massachusetts in 20, uh, 2004. And I planted another one in 2010. And then I planted two more in 2016. And then I just planted three more. Okay, And one of them was in uh, Rhode Island in uh, 2020. When I was young and starting out in ministry, I almost went down this route. Wrote, wrote, I almost went down this route that you're going down. When I was just getting into pastoral ministry, a guy named Rob Bell was the hottest church planter on the planet, and he bragged about opening his church with over a thousand people on the first day. It was lies, it was mistruths, but then he started to, to uh, critique evangelical subculture in cool ways, and he plagiarized the work of Ray Vanderlaan, connecting ancient Jewish t- uh, culture to scriptural interpretation in his NUMA video series. It was so cool, and it attracted secular people, and young, inexperienced pastors such as myself started to think, well, maybe if we soften scripture stance on a couple things, we'll reach people better for Jesus. After all, didn't Jesus hang with sinners and love them? And shouldn't we do the same thing? And didn't he maybe soften the blow? No, he didn't. He loved sinners, but he kept the message the same. He was as strong as you could be about the truth of scripture and what God required of us, while at the same time, absolutely loving the sinner. And the amazing thing was that amazing company, that that combination in Jesus' life was highly attractional to Matthew, a tax collector, and to Zacchaeus, and to Mary, and demon-possessed women and men. You see, we don't have to coddle sinners. We have to tell them the truth, and then we have to love them like crazy. My, my, my fear, though, is that the church is trying to entertain, entertain, coddle, welcome, you know, open arms. And my thought is, if a church seeks to entertain instead of disciple, it will fill God's pasture with goats instead of sheep. Well, Acts chapter 20, Acts, cha- Acts chapter 29, Acts 29, the movement was resoundingly critiqued for this content on their website. And they issued a statement a few days ago saying that they posted the video and he gave the small talk Mike Sullivan did. Uh, we love Mike and his heart for reaching the loss in his community. We're glad Emmaus City Church is in the network. Since posting, they say, we have received feedback that our video appeared to minimize the severity of sin and that our interview lacked the clarity needed to publicly communicate biblical truth on such a critically important issue. Upon further reflection, we agree and have removed the video from our website. If you have been in any of our events this year, you've heard us say that the future of Acts 29 will be characterized by theological clarity. But at the end of the day, this video was theologically unclear. Uh, They say, we apologize for the video and are committed to improving our efforts to resource pastors and planters for effective ministry. Yes, I, I, I thank you, Acts 29, for doing this because young pastors are watching you. And um, we, we can't dumb down the church. We must not let the salt lose the savor. And by, if, by losing its savor, it would be dumbing down. Well, keeping our saltiness would be to gain wisdom. Wisdom to discern the world we're living in and realize that the, the culture that we live in, people, Christians, listen, the culture that we are living in is on a crash course for destruction. It's on a collision course for absolute corruption and chaos. And all you have to do is look at what's happening down the road a bit. Just just look down the road. Look over the heads of the LGBT people who you think you can reach by bringing into your church. Just look over the heads to what's the trajectory of that movement? Because it's getting worse and worse. And that brings me to ridiculous news. Ridiculous. Our leaders keep reminding us that it's just a matter of time before the devolution of our society is complete. I bring you news uh, out of Burbank, California. (laughs) This one, I could not believe when I heard it. The mayor of Burbank, California, is named Constantine Anthony, and here he is getting spanked in public by a drag queen. This was at a September 9th uh, fundraising event at Sarah, by the, hosted by the Santa Clarita Valley Democrats. And yes, that is a sitting city mayor in Burbank, California, getting spanked by a drag queen. Watch. No word. So that is a, um, a sign of where the culture is headed. Okay. You think about this moment. A city official is getting spanked. Um, spanking is a form of corporate punishment. C- corporal. <laughs> corporal punishment. It's, it's uh, a tool 
that the Bible actually condones, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? The folly is bound up in the heart of a child, Proverbs says, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And while I don't advocate for using tools and spanking, I'd absolutely advocate for spanking, even though the Bible advocates for using a rod. Uh, it's a form of punishment. And just think psychologically about this. A, a, a spanking is a, is a symbol as well as a punishment. And it's a symbol of this, that you are subservient to the person that is spanking you, that you have been, that you need to be submissive to their word and authority. Literally what is happening here in Burbank, California is the mayor of the city is saying, I am maybe in a fun way in his mind, but I am subservient to the most confused derelicts of my community. It's actually shocking. Uh, Anthony became mayor of Burbank after his acting career pursuits failed. He ran for office with a, quote, passion for social justice. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, he was ca called out online by people in his community saying that the act of being spanked by drag queen was vile and disgusting for a sitting mayor. So Anthony took the social justice response route and condemned the attacks online as, quote, vile hate speech aimed at him and others. That's how it works, by the way. If you're a progressive Democrat and you do stupid things in public and get called out by normal citizens, you now, normal citizen, are called hateful and vile and bigoted. That's, that's how it works now. Um, this is the devolution of our society. Consider news from the Washington Times. And when we're talking about California, remember California, they had a uh, day at Dodger Stadium where they had a pride event and they hosted the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. This is a group of drag queens that mock the Catholic Church and promote sexual and satanic activities. Well, who could have ever guessed that this news article would have one day appeared? Quote the headline, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence chapter apologizes after a member is charged with masturbating in a public park. Mm -hmm. Evidently, a man named Clinton Monroe Ellis Gilmore. Oops, I said he was a man. He could be a man. He could be a woman. He could be a he-man, a she-man, a he-wolf, a parrot. I don't know. He was sitting in his truck with the door open, masturbating for an hour on August 12th at Table Bluff County Park in Loletta. And the sisters, quote unquote, sisters, have issued an apology. Now, the apology here makes no sense to me. Your name is the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And I think that masturbation falls under the category of indulgence. Isn't it one of the main activities of perpetual indulgence observant ordinances that your group would promote? Wasn't this member just being who he was? Oh, he's gone too far? Well, why? I remember when the pride marches were happening this past June and literally men almost naked were shaking their pelvis and private parts in the faces of young children during pride parades. Isn't this public masturbation deal just the next logical step in your movement? Why the apology, sisters of indulgence, uh, perpetual indulgence? Isn't this who you are? Aren't you just being true to yourself? But this is the co corruption. This is the devolution of our culture. And it's getting worse by the second. Another news article that just, again, I give you this stuff not to alarm you, but just to awaken you to what's happening. Because I am hoping that as you see this kind of nonsense exposed in society, you will run to the arms of your father and his loving church faster than ever before. Again, in Minnesota... Walker Arts Walker Art Center in Minneapolis. I cannot believe these words are coming out of my mouth. This is a museum in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who is holding a family-friendly demon summoning event. Phrases I never thought I would be saying in my life, but you heard that right. Now, time and time again, the LGBT movement and the demonic and Satan worship go hand in hand. And case in point, Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So here's a picture from their website where the kids are sitting there. One kid is dressed in a pride shirt, of course. And from the article itself, they have these activities at the demon summoning um, event. The art making activity, how to trap a demon. And <laughs> the subtitle, demons have a bad reputation, but maybe we're just not very good at getting to know them. Do you have a demon that creeps into your thoughts? Maybe the demon of overthinking or the demon of not trusting your gut? Work with visiting artist Tamar Eaton to design a vessel for holding the demon you know best. 
Are you kidding me? Really? Or how about the performance? Lilith, the empathetic demon. This is after, after you design your trap. Lilith, the empathetic demon, will come from the dark side of the moon to lead you in locating your feelings using ancient Babylonian techniques. This collective and playful demon summoning session will conclude with a somatic movement meditation designed to help you befriend your shadows. This is a probably publicly funded museum in downtown Minneapolis, and it is hosting a demon summoning event, and kids are invited. Oh, we are living on the backside of the glory days of America's history. Seriously, we're on the back nine, and we're far over par now. My goodness, I cannot believe the stories that I can report to you on this channel. And again, I share with them with you, not to alarm you. You don't have to be afraid, friends. You don't have to be afraid of the crazies summoning demons. What you have to be is thankful that you have the Father for you, the angels surrounding you, the Holy Spirit in you, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing you. There is nothing to be afraid of, but you want to be aware of the trajectory of the world so that you do not become like the world. Now is not the time to become more, I don't know, culturally sensitive to the sinners among us for the sake of evangelism. No, now is the time to get closer to our shepherd because our shepherd Jesus was really effective in bringing thousands to the faith really effective. And he did so by holding strong to orthodox belief and biblical truth, and then laying down his life to reach those lost in sin. Meanwhile, in flyover country, Oak Park High School in Kansas City, Missouri, has just named a boy homecoming queen, and get this, for the second time in their history. This is not the first time. Oak Park High School in Kansas City, Missouri, has named a boy homecoming queen. Tristan Young is the newest member of that fraternity, and he was voted in by the students of Kansas City High School and crowned over four girls for the coveted prize. A close-up here reveals that he is quite a handsome woman. Again, boys, being, boys are beating girls at being girls, and the students celebrate it which tells you all you need to know about the curriculum studies at Oak Park High School in Kansas City, Missouri. We are living in the times that G.K. Chesterton described when he said famously that we shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which furious party cries will be raised against anybody who says that cows have horns, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure and hang a man for maddening mob with the news that grass is green. Man, G.K. Chesterton was right on. This is where we are. This is the trajectory of culture. And it's not good. Now, I do have a positive uh, news article to share with you. And that brings me to really good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. Okay, so if Minnesota is going the wrong way, Michigan might be going the right way. This is positive news out of NBC News. And the report is that Grant Middle School in Grant, Michigan now is forcing the school to remove a mural that contained a bunch of LGBT imagery and satanic and witchcraft imagery from the school grounds. And here's why that happened. Are you ready? Parents got involved. They won school board seats, and then they threatened to cancel contracts with two mental health services if the mural wasn't removed. This is a brilliant strategic move, by the way, by concerned parents in Grant, Michigan, and good for them because the school caved. They wanted to hold on to the mental health services, and the mural came down. Now, you can see the mural. Uh, the, the two mommies, obviously lesbians. You've got the, 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 the black child there with the um, uh, trans flag on his shirt, his or her shirt, then the LGBT uh, leggings and shirt there on the girl but then you also see the satanic imagery throughout and i don't know if you can see but there is a syringe held by what looks to be a pig draped in santa's robe <laughs> i'm telling you the dumbing down of our society is beyond the pale i mean just look at it a little bit closer is that what is that you tell me is that a pig wearing a mask with the red cross symbol on it also wearing santa's robe or outer garment and holding a syringe what <laughs> this is unbelievable. this was a mural in a public school by the way this mural tells you everything to know about modern art modern art is a facade is a fraud modern art is not art it is garbage and this is case in point because my 11 year old son would draw something like this without even trying and this was displayed for everybody to see talk about the dumbing down of our culture remember when art used to be i don't know 
something that skillful people used to produce and it used to represent the best of the human condition. Now it represents just silliness. This is random, weird characters and symbolism and ideologies just kind of thrown onto the canvas there. And, and this, is, this is a disgrace to the human race. This is scribbling. And yet it perfectly represents the devolution of our society. Random kids and animals with no theme or attachment bizarrely spread across the canvas. Unbelievable, but it is good that this mural is gone. <sighs> Unbelievable. Okay, we're going to turn to Apple. I am an Apple product fan, aren't you? I, I love this stuff. I, I can't get enough of it. I hate to say it. I got an Apple watch on. I got an Apple iPad, an iPhone. I mean, I, I even use Apple computers, and I love Apple. But Apple did all of us a favor. Apple has pro proven that humans need religion. They need religion. And the way they did this was... Weird. 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 So they did a product reveal last week on their new iPhone 15. And during their product reveal, they produced this content. This is a video where Mother Nature shows up. Mother Nature is played by, uh, uh, that's Octavia Spencer. She's a Academy Award winning actress, a fabulous actress, by the way. But she is playing Mother Nature here and she needs to be appeased. Mother Nature ain't happy. The wrath of Mother Nature is upon you. And the beholden disciples of Apple, I think there's about 12 of them around the table there, are all pandering to Mother Nature to make sure that they are good citizens of creation. They are going to serve and worship at her altar. They're going to make sure that their carbon credits are paid. And basically, carbon credits are uh, payments that companies like Apple make to neutralize their carbon footprint, which is a bunch of baloney that the government sold these companies on to just get free money from them. And uh, back and forth it goes with them showing uh, Mother Nature there how well they're doing to serve the environment, how well they're doing to serve her. And, you know, people around the table, I don't know if you can see it there, most of them who do the talking are overweight, which is kind of interesting, along with Mother Nature herself, which, I mean, if Mother Nature is mad about how we are treating her, um, physician, heal thyself. I mean, I love Octavia Spencer. She's an actress. She's fantastic. The Help is an amazing movie. Uh, Hidden Figures is an amazing movie. I remember her when she was in Never Been Kissed a long time ago with Drew Barrymore. Um, but anyway, what's with all the fatties worrying about how the God of Mother Earth is doing? Maybe they should worry about how they're doing because being obese is a very detrimental fact. It's a very detrimental condition for the human race. But here's the point. These Apple executives all have to kowtow to their God, Mother Nature. They have to offer sacrifices. They have to obey the laws of climate change and climate healing. They have to do better. One of the lines that Tim Cook says there is that we're doing more. We have to do more. There's always more to do. You know what this is? It's religion. It's religion draped in pagan swag. Because the truth of the matter is, is that religion is baked into the human cake. It's baked into the human heart. We're made to worship. If we do not worship the true God, we will worship anything made by God. And the richest company in the world just proved that. The richest company in the world has a religion. It's the religion of worship and serve Mother Nature. Now, now even the pagans are cringing out by this. Uh, Inc. Magazine said it was cringy, but effective. Which <laughs> is kind of funny. But this is a religion. You, you have a religion when you have worship, uh, tithes and offerings, high priests, atonement. What is the atonement of climate change? Well, we're going to, I don't know, curb our carbon imprint by paying the government for carbon neutral subsidies. And then the government takes that money and sends it to Ukraine to perpetuate a never ending war. That is what's happening. It is a money laundering scheme of the worst sort. But this is the religion of climate change. And thank you, Apple, for reminding us that we all need a religious faith. I'm just hoping that many of you in Apple and many of you listening to me today will find the true faith once delivered for all the saints. That is the faith that the Son of God came to live and die for us, rise again for us, so that we could rise again with him. In the religion of climate change, the climate crisis is a religious movement wherein your devotion is exhibited in your offerings and penance to Mother Nature. And Mother Nature is a useful idiot for the Joe Biden regime. Okay, we've got to talk about Donald Trump because this was very disturbing over the weekend. Donald Trump, for some reason, 
loves him some terrible interviews because he continues to show up and meet with a press that hates him. Now, I will give him this. Uh, the press probably do love it that he shows up and he will show up. Joe Biden will not sit down with the press. and <laughs> He rightly doesn't because he never wants to actually answer the hard questions and they'll never ask him those questions anyway. But Trump keeps showing up and he showed up this week on Meet the Press uh, with the new host of Meet the Press, Kristen Welker. And she started to ask him about abortion. And so this article from the Washington Stand says disturbing and inarticulate pro-life pro leaders react to Trump's abortion comments. Uh, evidently, Trump is willing to negotiate a deal between the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers. And he said that he believes that both abortion foes and activists uh, will be pleased with this plan if he gets reelected. He said he would sit down with both sides. He'd negotiate something and we'd all end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Then he said, I'm not going to say whether I would uh, support a national ban on abortion or a ban beginning at 15 weeks. He wouldn't uh, commit to that in the interview. And then this part of the article, the president portrayed himself as a chief negotiator between pro-life advocates and abortion activists, taking either position firmly. I'm Almost like a mediator in this case, he said. He told Welker, who just replaced Chuck Todd as host of The Ailing Show. When all is said and done, Trump said, I think both sides are going to like me. I have a problem with this, and you should do. I don't care if my president likes me or wants me to like him. I really don't. I care about his policies and positions. I care about what he believes about basic things, like when human life becomes a human life. Imagine if Abraham Lincoln was like, well, I, I believe that the slaveholders and the... Uh, abolitionists will really like me when I'm all, when I'm, when I'm done. <laughs> he was shot. He was killed by a, uh, pro slavery citizen. <laughs> you, you can't have this concern in your head, Donald Trump to be liked. You have to take a clear stance. Uh, by the way, many times in that uh, interview and I watched it and it was an abysmal interview. Um, Kristen Welker did the work of defending the Democratic Party, as the press usually does, and said that the Democrats do not support un unlimited abortion, which they do. Anybody who tells you that, that the official Democratic Party line is not for unlimited abortion rights, which is up to birth and even in some cases after birth abortion, which Donald Trump rightly calls them out in that article, in that interview on. And Kristen Welker kept saying, no, they don't. No, they don't. Yes, they do. It's just amazing the number of times the news media continues to carry water for the Democratic Party. All in the name of the sacred secular sacrament of abortion. That's what it is. It's the sacred secular sacrament of abortion. Killing children is of the utmost importance for the uh, left-wingers in our country. Let me be clear as a Christian, though, and back to Donald Trump. There is only one Christian stance on abortion. A total elimination of the practice. And throughout church history... This has always been the case. It was the case in the Roman Empire when they practiced abortion through the most unconscionable uh, methods. And it should still be the case in this church, uh, in this generation. We should stand against abortion. Life begins at conception. God knits us together in our mother's womb. Now, you can reject the Bible, uh, and you have to do that to embrace abortion. But if you're going to believe the Bible, and judging by the statistics, a lot of evangelicals don't believe the Bible. Uh, but if you're going to be one of those few evangelical Christians who believe the Bible, you cannot have a halfway view of this. By the way, during the interview, Trump said that uh, Ron DeSantis made a horrible mistake by signing a six-week six abortion ban in Florida. I don't know who Trump is trying to win over here. He's definitely not going to win the abortion activists because they don't want any limits on abortion. And he's definitely not going to win the pro-lifers because they do not want any uh, allowance for abortion. Uh, you can't you can't paddle the middle ground. And I don't think that this kind of view is going to help him get elected. I really don't. Maybe he thinks so. I don't think so. But Christians, you need to do your research as the uh, election season ramps up. And I'm here to help you with that. That's what the show is all about. And that's why we do uh, portions like this on both the right and the left. Okay, that's the show, everybody. Thanks, guys, for being here. Check out the swag on TimHatchLive.com. Lots of things to buy and support the channel by buying. Uh, and then you can also just straight support the channel by donating money, cash out Tim Hatch Live and timhatchlive.com slash support. By the way, big news for the channel. We are now going to take 20% of all that you give. 20% that you give is going to go uh, out of the channel and is going to support the American Bible Society and Project Rescue. Uh, we are going to get money into the hands of people who are actually working to bring the gospel and freedom to people around the earth. So I don't do that because I'm hoping it will increase donations. No, I do that because it's the right thing to do. 
every Christian and every Christian organization should be a river, not a reservoir. In other words, we can't just collect, we got to give. So if you give to the channel, know that your giving is also going out. And I'm so proud to bring that announcement to you. I'm also proud to announce that the deep dive with me is back tomorrow night as we go through the Torah. 613 laws of ancient Israel and how they apply today. Tomorrow we start off with what is Torah and how we should view Torah, the law. And then we're also going to then in the subsequent weeks go through the Ten Commandments. We'll start with the Big Ten, then we'll get down to the nitty-gritties, the ones that are hard to understand. We'll get through the ceremonial law of Israel. And while we don't practice that ceremonial law anymore, what does that have to do with us today? And you will be stunned and blessed, hopefully, by what you find with me on that content. Guys, I am absolutely glad you were here tonight. I pray God's blessing be upon you, and I'll see you tomorrow night for the deep dive.